What's up, everybody? It's the off-season, fortunately and unfortunately, I guess, mostly unfortunately, based on the Bengals' run this year. However, there is still a lot to talk about on this show and about the Cincinnati Bengals. I am Anthony Cazenza, joined, as always, by the sage, the guru, John Sheeran. He's already cracking a, a cold one there. I didn't even see what it was, but it looks tasty. How are you, John? Yeah, Astra uh, by March 1st. Uh, very underrated seltzer. Uh, they have one by okay. like Cream Soda. It's impeccable. This is just the, the pink lemonade one. I think they're based in like the east side of Cincinnati. I'm good though, though. Um, you just celebrated your your oldest had a birthday recently. How how was that? That was awesome, man. We did a, a lot of family time and just kind of gosh, the the kid. I don't know if he realizes what kind of a marathon weekend he had i mean we just right. did all kinds of stuff <laughs> um we just did all kinds of stuff but yeah he he had fun and um yeah five time goes by fast man he's happy he's birthday five. little casenza yeah that's right that's right thanks man um yeah so busy weekend last weekend and uh man we just tried to do all kinds of different stuff with him but that was it was fun it was fun appreciate you you giving little Rigi a shout out there um look man i I still, I'm still trying to cope with this whole loss in the Super Bowl thing. Um, I feel like I'm maybe starting to get over it, but man, I just, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm hyped up. I'm hyped to talk about the draft and free agency and do the show and everything. But there's still just this weight on my back, my friend. I don't know if you feel the same way. It just, uh, you, you may just be a little bit less emotional about it than I. You know what it is? I think it's because. It's so close now to free agency and everything happening. There's no giant lull period. It, it's not yeah. us watching the playoffs or the Bengals not in it. There's less time, I think, to just go through, I guess, for some people, the grieving process. And because of that, it's just right back into it. You know, the coaches for the Bengals had like a week vacation. Now they're prepping for the combine. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, they're just, they're just going at this. So there's no real time, to, I guess to really dwell from anyone's perspective. And I think that kind of helps the overall process. But I have it has been fascinating, though, seeing Bengals Twitter and just the fans in general go through the past week and a half. Like, in the past, it was weeks, even borderline months of planning for the offseason. What are they going to do? What do they? What do we want them to do and everything? It's been nine days of going through every single possible scenario to rebuild the offensive line, starting with mm -hmm. big names and trade rumors, to now in the in the middle of this week, February 23rd, rationalizing like, okay, what if they don't do all that stuff? Are we okay with these? Are we okay with these two guys? Are we okay with just an average one? How will we feel about this? We've gone through the entire cycle of all possible outcomes. We're like Dr. Strange looking with the time stone about every single possibility that, that the offensive line can come to. It's not even March. So it's been a whirlwind the past week. I can't believe the Super Bowl was only 10 days ago, but I guess it's kind of how people are kind of dealing with the, the coping process, if you will. Yeah, I guess maybe I'm just not good at coping or dealing with that process, said process there. Very generous from Russ ENT, who's a big supporter of our show. Thank you for the great super chat there. Time to make some free agency noise. The time is now. Hude OBI and Hude back at you, Russ. As before we talk about Jesse Bates, before we talk about free agency strategies, before we talk about draft picks and prospects and all that kind of stuff because we will do all of that on this week's episode got to let all of you know how to get this show in case you're new here we have a lot of new subscribers and a lot of new listeners from the Bengals postseason run and thank you very much for making us part of your Bengals podcast rotation the orange and black insider is part of the cincy jungle podcast channel which is all part of the sb nation podcast network our show along with matt minnick's coach speak and chalk talk and Orange is the New Black from Ace and Zim. Those are all part of the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel, so you can get those on your favorite audio streamers, whether that's iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, all of the major ones. We are on those. Go subscribe to those to get the newest episodes from all three of those shows. And, of course, you can subscribe by clicking that link under John and under that Cincy Jungle logo there on the YouTube channel. Click that. Uh, to subscribe, click the bell to be notified when we go live. We usually do these live recordings, so you know we we push these out because we love the live interaction with viewers. So 
Um, we do some that are pre-recorded and we push that out there on the YouTube channel and whatnot, but uh, join us for the live video if you would like, either on our YouTube channel or go like the Cincy Jungle Facebook page. Follow John and or I and the podcast channel on Twitter. Okay. Shameless plug time over, John Sheeran. And thank you once again, Russ, uh, for that generous, generous donation on your behalf. Jesse Bates made some... People have sleepless nights last night. Yeah, there you go. The, the eyeball, the eyeball emoji uh, sent out one of those, those lovely, lovely February and March cryptic tweets. We love those from the players. Um, he sent that out uh, late last night and then he followed it up with an NFL network appearance on Wednesday. I think a lot of people assumed that maybe this was an ushering in of a fran- franchise tag announcement. Now that that was able to be done by the team as of yesterday, all teams as of yesterday, and or a contract extension announcement. And John, neither. Neither happened. <laughs> so what do we make of this whole thing with Jesse Bates? So you, you have the eyeball tweets. You're, you had the eyeball emoji, I, I should say. And that's always hit or miss. But of course, when you see that from a player who's in the news, your brain immediately jumps to what you wanted to think. But it wasn't just the eyeballs. It was followed by retweeting Mike Hilton continuing yeah. to endorse. Okay, yeah, so Mike Hilton's been on this this campaign of recruiting Laramie Tunsil, now J.C. Jackson of the Patriots, and he's been saying extend J.C. Bates since, I believe, in the press conference in October. He put that uh, tweet out there, I believe, like February 19th. Look at us. We're, we're investigating the dates of tweets here like it's some investigation. <laughs> and then Jesse Bates retweets that and then puts out the eyeball emoji. Everyone puts two and two together. Oh, my God, it's happening. It's happening. The time is now. The eyeball emoji is so much fun. It's so much fun to tease people. We what we did it two weeks ago when we <laughs> when we announced or we, we were about to announce right, Chad Johnson coming on. Yeah. And people were mad, man. People were getting in my mentions furious that I didn't have Bengals news to announce. Yeah, the biggest <laughs> interview of our Bengals OBI careers. We were excited about it. We wanted to tease it. Uh, uh, people only want the news, man. Who knows what Jesse Bates was actually tweeting about? He was eating some wings when he sent that tweet or whatever. Maybe he was excited about the wings. Honestly, like to, to go into these rabbit holes about these cryptic tweets with emojis it's beyond ridiculous but it fails it never fails it never fails it gets us going every single time you have articles being written about it maybe he was honestly just teasing going on nfl network talking for the first time since the super bowl i don't know what it is regardless of what it is negotiations aren't getting bigger or more present because of tweets like then the negotiations between the Bengals and Bates are currently happening they're on the clock they have two weeks until the franchise tag window expires. And of course that's when things tend to pick up. That is true. And there are, look, there are a number of variables at play here. And we, we probably sound a bit like a broken record when we talk about this kind of stuff. But when it comes to the Cincinnati Bengals, when it comes to the Brown family and, and positions, positions that they value safety is low on the pecking order. Safety and offensive guard in terms of paying big money to those positions are, are low on the pecking order. You can look at George, even drafting a safety high has, you know, I mean, you've seen some second rounders and whatnot. It's just, uh, I like believe Bates. one of the, yeah, exactly. Bates. And uh, I mean, there, there are a number of others that you can look at, but um, you can, I think Daryl Williams was one of the lone uh, safeties that they picked in, in, in the first round here as uh, in their tradition. So, it's they paid Georgia Loca, um, but they didn't see that contract through. Uh, that was a handful of years ago, and but that that's kind of out of the norm for them. So, to uh, Jesse Bates is an out of the norm safety though. He is a very good safety, so I, I think that's where this push and pull comes from within the organization. In that they're like, this is a position that we just don't normally play uh, pay very well, but we also see his impact on the roster, his impact on the field and his impact, John, to kind of steal a little bit of thunder from our, our buddy, Joe Goodberry and what he's kind of saying on Twitter, um, uh, you know, his impact on the rest of the secondary, because the, a lot of, and you're seeing when Mike Hilton comes out and says, extend this guy, extend this guy, there is good reason for that aside from just, Hey, he's a buddy of mine. I want to see him get paid. It's because he is the glue of the secondary there. 
and makes things go. And we can all sit here and complain about, you know, well, Jesse Bates didn't have that great of a regular season. He was an absolute hero in the postseason. Um, those four games, he played excellent football. And when your best players play their best football in the biggest games, that's why you want to pay those guys big money. So I, a lot of people are asking us, John, you know, when, when are we going to, when are they going to sign him? Please sign Bates, uh, all this kind of stuff. I, I just, I don't, I never saw this as a quick, this is going to get done even after that postseason, just because of who the Bengals are, the stalemate last year. I just, I don't, I don't see this being an easy, easy ink of the contract. Yeah. Usually they go up to the deadlines um, when, in regards to extensions during the summer, they usually get done in late August, even right up to the beginning of the season. Now they have a deadline here with the franchise tag. You have to think that if they don't get a deal done, they are probably going to tag him. I, I don't see him as like a Carl Lawson or William Jackson, where, you know, if they can't get a deal done, oh, well, go test the market, see what you're worth. I think Bates has a lot of things going for him, aside from the fact that, like you said, he completely reestablished himself as one of the better safeties in the league during the postseason. And Honestly, who knows what the narrative is with Jesse Bates. Say they don't make the playoffs and he ends the season playing 16, 17 games at a not so great level, kind of going back to his like 2019 days when he was really inconsistent. Who knows what his value is then and who knows what the Bengals would be willing to pay him then and if his stance on where he thinks that he should get paid. We don't know. That, that That's a whole nother reality. But the reality is in four playoff games, he allowed like maybe three catches, he had three or four passes defense and two interceptions. And the, the pass deflection that led to the Von Bell interception that got them yeah. to the Super Bowl. And he played a phenomenal Super Bowl. He had an interception in the Super Bowl. He was incredible in those games. And there's been a lot of players over the past six or seven years for the Bengals that never got to play in a playoff game. We don't know. We never knew how like a Tyler Boyd would play in the biggest moments. We never knew how like a Sam Hubbard or a Joe Mixon would. And Jesse Bates is kind of in that class of guys who started their careers being on bad Bengals teams and never getting yeah. those chances like some other Bengals players in the past like an AJ Green or Geno Atkins who had chances in the postseason and never really quite stepped up when they needed him to Jesse Bates is the exact opposite of that and along with that the guy has been with this team for four years he's been a starter for in the entirety of his four years he's worked up not only to a competent above average and elite borderline elite starter but as a leader in the locker room he's a team captain he he's a guy that people gal galvanize towards or resonate with on that side of the ball. He's everything that they value in terms of retaining guys. And I think, like you said, even though that he plays a position that they don't normally pay big money to, I think the contract that he's expecting is very similar to the contracts that they've given in the past, like an AJ Green to a Trey Hendrickson, somewhere in the range of that $15, 16000000 million per year. We don't know the exact details of what contract Bates is going to give out, but I don't think it's going to be anything ridiculous that they wouldn't be willing to give i think they have a price for him i think bates has a price for bates's representation has a price for him and it's just a matter of if they are able to be halfway in time and here's the other kicker with it john he is three days away from being only 25 years old so we're not talking about a guy who's 28 29 getting the last contract we're talking about a guy who is in and officially entering the prime of his career so he's one of those young core players. And if you are the Cincinnati Bengals, regardless of the position, we know you like the wide receivers. We know you like the quarterbacks. We know you like the offensive tackles. Um, we know you like edge players and, and corners and whatnot. But this is one of those core players that the Bengals always talk about this time of year or in the summertime when they try and extend those players before they hit free agency. This is one of those team core players that you want to develop and retain. And so I, I still, I don't know that a long-term contract, I don't know that I personally believe that a long-term contract will come about. I think this may end up, I still kind of feel like this may end up in a, in a franchise tag situation. I, I hope I'm wrong. Um, I hope I'm wrong for a variety of reasons. I hope Jesse gets paid. You know, I, I'd like to see him get paid well. Uh, it shores up a position and doesn't, you know, doesn't allow a need for the Cincinnati Bengals. And, you know, the, the franchise tag is not as salary cap friendly, at least uh, usually not salary cap friendly in that first year, if you were to, unless you were to do a, a long-term deal. So, I mean, there's a couple of reasons why I would like to see him get extended instead of franchise tag. But I, I think the latter is a little more, 
realistic at this point, given the fact that they've had a long time to hash out a deal both last summer and right now, and it's still not getting done. Yeah, and in regards to the franchise tag, I think that's projected to be about $13 million, maybe a little bit north of that. And if we're going to assume that his APY is like 16, first-year mm-hmm. cap hits are not usually going to be that high, specifically with how the Bengals like to do it. Talking about a signing bonus of in between 10 or 15 million and then a pretty low base salary in his first year. So the cap hit, I think, if they were to extend him, wouldn't be that lower than a $13 million cap hit. So their free agency plans, I don't think, would be halted or or altered too much if they end up tagging him. But I think tagging him, I, I still don't know if they would be able to come to an agreement before the July 15th deadline. And if they don't, if they have him under the franchise tag, and they don't come to an extension agreement before July 15th, then he has to play under the franchise tag. And that's usually a sign that that player is going to enter free agency the next year, or he's going to get double tagged. And I don't think the Bengals would ever franchise tag a player twice. I don't think they've ever done that before. Mm -hmm. So he either gets tagged and he plays one more year in Cincinnati, or I think he gets extended in the next two weeks. And honestly, I understand, um, like I maybe leaning towards him getting tagged too is what I'm, what I'm feeling, but it wouldn't necessarily shock me if they extend him either just because of how he finished the season and everything that he is. It's just a matter of if the Bengals are actually going to do it or not. Yep. Well, he is one of the major priorities on this team uh, in terms of this free agency period, who's hitting the market, who's set to hit the market in just a few weeks here. John has been uh, such an astute gentleman and a guy who has done ample research so what we're going to do here is we're going to share a document that john has prepared and we're going to note where the bangles are at we're going to kind of review where the bangles are at and then john and i are going to do a little game here i guess so to speak and talk about where the priorities should be if you're the cincinnati Bengals in terms of re-signing and who should be back with the team maybe you know top of the pile that sort of thing so here is the document john and if you want to run through this a little bit here and talk uh you know for those maybe who aren't watching the video you can maybe talk us through a little bit here of what you've prepared so we have an a total overview of the Bengals roster right now every player that's listed with a white background he's under contract for the 2022 season whether it be long term or just for a year whatever he's in the offseason plans. Then we have four types of free agents, T- technically three, but if your name is in blue, that means that you were a starter at some point this season, typically, or let's just say like a high priority to be resigned. So that includes CJ Uzama, Riley Reef, Quinn Spain, both Larry Ogunjobi, BJ Hill, Eli Apple, Jesse Bates, and then Kevin Huber and Clark Harris. We'll include them as starters too. Special teamers are people too. And those, are all un, those are all unrestricted. Sorry to interrupt you, right? Those are all, all unrestricted, guys. All, all unrestricted, yes. Yep. And then we have three types of free agents who were backups. We have exclusive rights free agents listed in green. Those are the guys that are the easiest to bring back. It's just a very cheap uh, cap number. The team has control over their rights before they enter free agency. Expect to see most of these guys back. You have Trent Irwin, Mitchell Wilcox, Joe Bacci, Clay Johnson, Jalen Davis, Wyatt Wright. Then you got your restricted free agents. You got Stanley Morgan Jr., Fred Johnson, Josh Tupo. I believe all of these guys were undrafted free agents, so there's not like an original round tender. I think they have to put a a price tag at at some point or at some place with these guys. So, you know, they may be on the fence, especially because maybe one or two of them may may not be a a priority to be retained. And then you have the unrestricted free agents, like guys like Brandon Allen, Auden Tate, Mike Daniels, Trey Flowers. Mike Thomas, and these guys are role players. They're backups. Like, again, Uzama, Reef, those guys, they're also unrestricted free agents, but the guys in orange here, they are role players or backups who could test the open market. The team doesn't have any control over, like, um, over, like, placing a tender on them, if you will. Okay. Awesome. Good stuff there. And appreciate you running down the, that, the, the layout here. Now, there are a couple ways to attack this thing. Right. Um, you, you can look at, well, uh, obviously the offensive line needs work and, you know, there's starters, but the, they, they need some new starters there. Um, you, you can look at Jesse Bates, who we mentioned is obviously a top priority at safety. But the other thing, the other way to look at this, John, is look at how vulnerable some of these position groups become based on how many players are set 
to be free agents. And when I look at that, I, what immediately jumps out to me, tight end and interior defensive line, especially there are a lot of names in that interior defensive line um, and, and corner a bit that looks, you know, kind of back end and corner is going to need some, some work because you've got Apple who started and then Trey Waynes, whose contract is a big albatross for this team here. So they got a lot to figure out there, but I mean, obviously there are specific players. So I'm almost looking at, well, man, our, some of these position groups could be really ravaged here. And that's where all of a sudden, yes, Jesse Bates is a big priority, but CJ Uzama is a pretty big priority. Larry Ogunjobi and or BJ Hill become a pretty, pretty big priority as well, based on all of those names in the interior defensive line. Pretty much like the, the media thing that sticks out to me, like you said, on, on defense, they don't have a single three technique on, on their yep. contract right now. It's yep. just DJ reader and Tyler Shelvin who, I mean, who knows what he is right now? He's, he's a nose tackle, but who knows if you can, you can count on him going forward. You have to think that, like one of Ogunjobi or Hill are going to be back. And just looking at this and what the state of that position group would be like if none of them come back, you, you have to think that one of them, like retaining one of them is a priority. Cornerback, like Trey Wayne's technically isn't a free agent, but he's going to get cut. Like He's going to get the, cut, yeah. That's the worst kept secret in the Bengals front office right now. And then Eli Apple is a free agent too. And you know what? I don't think that like the Bengals philosophically have changed that much in terms of their contract layouts and like their overall aggressiveness. But I do think say this was like 2019 and Eli Apple was a free agent. And he just had the season that he had. I think that that Bengals front office, especially in that rushed off season, they would give Eli Apple like a three-year deal. Like they gave Bobby Hart or Preston Smith or Preston Brown, excuse me, just because of they're familiar with him and he had mm-hmm. somewhat of a decent year. I don't think they give that to Eli Apple now. I don't think that if they were to retain him, it would be for like starter money. I think he would get retained on another similar type of one-year deal where he could compete for a roster spot. But that, that's a question, though. He played pretty well. I think they kind of found lightning in the bottle, as Paul Daniel Jr. put it. And that's a variable. That, that's a possibility that he sticks around. And then, then you look at offense. like Receiver depth is quietly somewhat of a need. Like I know they can retain Irwin and Morgan. But they can tender them both. But... You know, depth of that position is a little bit of a question. And then really, both Riley Reef, Quinn Spain, or maybe only one of them come back. I don't know how much change you want in terms of those positions. Obviously, you want a better offensive line overall, but I don't think having both of those guys or maybe one of those guys coming back in either like a reserve role or some type of a competition at one of those positions, I think that's a decision they have to make as well. Well, okay, so... I. Right now, I would kind of prioritize as I look at this list. Uh, Jesse Jesse Bates has got to be towards the top of that list, if not at the top. CJ Uzama has got to be at the top of that list for not just talent reason and having a nice year statistically, but also just locker room leadership and what he has meant to that team. So, um, and, and that is a that is a really weak group without CJ Uzama as it, as it currently stands. Um, and I like Mitchell Wilcox, actually. I know there's all kinds of different thoughts about Moss, and he was kind of a, a fringe maybe in the plans at some point before he got hurt in a pregame warm-up type of thing. Um, but that becomes a really weakened group without Uzama there. So I think he's towards the top of the list. And then Ogunjobi and Hill, for me, those have to be the top of the guys. I, I don't know that they'll be able to keep both Ogunjobi and Hill. I would love for them to be able to do so but they would need to probably get pretty creative in doing so because I think with, with Larry Ogunjobi getting those seven sacks this year, BJ Hill having the best year of his career with the Bengals, um, both of those guys are going to look to get paid. Uh, Ogunjobi kind of, I don't want to say did the Bengals a favor, but you know he kind of settled on a, a rental rental deal last year with the hopes of playing well and, and parlaying that into a higher salary cap situation the following year to get himself a bigger contract. And I think he earned that. So right now, I mean, I know a lot of people are saying, well, you know, Spain and reef and and that sort of thing in terms of internal guys, that's where I'm looking top of the pile. Pretty much. I think you, you hit the nail on the head there, like competing offers in terms of matching what other teams may offer or just getting out ahead of that. I think it's Bates, Uzama, 
and then one of, if not both, of Ogunjobi and Hill. I honestly think that with those two, it could be a similar situation to like Michael Johnson, Carlos Dunlap, where they kind of give both of them the same offer, a very similar offer. And mm. if one of them accepts, then that's that's what it is. And the other one tests the market. I don't know. That, that's pure speculation. I don't know if they value one um, higher than the other, but that would be kind of how I would handle it because I think the difference between those two are pretty marginal. There's You have Hill, who's probably more consistent player, but Ogunjobi can provide more of a pass rushing spark, and that's kind of what they need the most at the position. So, yeah, I, I agree. I don't, I don't think it's likely that they retain both, but I think keeping one is going to be a priority and they might just offer both of them and see which one takes it. But other than that, like I don't think there's going to be a ton of people begging for Quinn Spain services. The same thing with Riley Reef. Riley Reef might be on the verge of retirement for all we know. We don't know how bad that ankle injury is. He's going to be 34 coming up in, in 10 months or so. So maybe he's just found a place where he feels like he can compete for a ring. I mean, he damn near won a Super Bowl with them, even though he was on the bench. So maybe he comes back on another one-year deal. Maybe they move him inside the guard, but I don't think there's going to be too much attention for him in the offseason. And the same probably goes for Eli Apple. Like, who honestly knows what Eli Apple's reputation is around the league? Obviously, Bengals fans are spinning with him because he's a Bengal and he and he talks smack and he has backed it up for the most part when he's played for them. But we don't know how he's um, looked at for the rest of the, of the league. He's, this is his fourth team now, and honestly, other fan bases aren't really uh, spinning with him. So. That, that might be like his overall persona might be doing them a favor of like making him like a cheaper option. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Good news. The edge rusher department is in real good shape. Um, I mean, you want more out of Khalid Kareem. I mean, he's flashed a, a little bit. High hopes for Joseph Osai coming back from that injury. Uh, Sample had some nice moments and had some M moments as well as a rookie. And then you got Spence and then Hubert coming back from, from injury there. So, I mean, they're pretty, they're pretty set there for the most part. They'll probably add some talent in the draft. I would think based on some of the veterans that they've got at this, at the starting spots and then Osai coming in there, coming in there, but um, they're pretty solid there. I hate to say this because I really like the guy, but I think uh, the team will move off of Kevin Huber. Um, they they hung on to Drew Chrisman in various capacities throughout this entire season. Huber has had a great career with the Bengals. Um, started to kind of struggle a little bit towards the end of the season. Uh, hit a few more shanked punts. I noticed at least than um, you know he had he had hit before, and that's I mean he's up there. He's had an amazing career, but I think it's probably time. And the fact that they've hung on to a punter on and off their practice squad and whatnot, I think that that's probably something they're going to look at this year. I don't know what I'm feeling about Clark Harris there. Uh, the the uh, Some guys that are really intriguing to me in terms of what do you do with them? Uh, I, I think you do whatever you can to hang on to Stanley Morgan. Uh, I, I think he's just a valuable special teams guy and, and, you know, it probably wouldn't be that expensive. I, I, I think you do what you can to hang on to him. What do you think about Trey Flowers? A guy that I find really interesting, big player, did some nice things against tight ends and in kind of, you know, when they shortened the field on him in terms of his his coverage responsibilities, I thought he stepped up and played pretty well down the stretch. There are a couple moments where you go, oh boy, but I mean, it's like against Travis Kelsey and stuff where they're, <laughs> so it's kind of like, well, I mean, uh, there's going to be plays made there, but I thought he found a nice niche with the team. I don't know if you think it's enough for them to continue to keep him around. Yeah, that's where I was going to go with this next. In terms of like okay. the, the guys in orange who are backups, role players, and are unrestricted free agents. Like if there's two or three guys here that you are pretty confident that they are going to be kept and retained, and two to three guys that you think are going to be gone. Like Trey Flowers to me was someone that I'm pretty confident is going to come back for a number of reasons. One, he's going to be cheap. Two, they need depth at quarterback. And three, like the guy was with the Seahawks and the Seahawks didn't know how to use him. They tried him on the outside. They liked his size and he just kind of got exposed a little bit. And that's why mm-hmm. he was available for the Bengals to pick up in the middle of October. The Bengals found a role for him. That's on coaching. That's Luna Rumo and his staff 
putting Trey Flowers' skill set to good use, and they found an asset in that. So I think Flowers is a guy that they would like to retain. And the two other guys for me, honestly, like Jordan Evans for the past two years now has come back on one-year deals, and he's coming off of a, of a bad injury. But it's, it's, he's just like he's a good kind of virus. I don't know what we're going with this, but he well, he won't go away basically. Like I think he'll just be back in camp at least because they value that special teams yeah. um like ability, I suppose, but they already have depth at linebacker so it wouldn't shock me too much. And then I think Brandon Allen's probably coming back. I don't know what else they're going to do at backup quarterback. I don't know if they try to be more aggressive there, but I know Jake Browning's not going to cut it and who really knows what else they can do. Like there's not a lot of quality quarterbacks that are out there. Now some of them are going to the USFL or whatever. Like the quarterback market is just, it's, it's, it's just non-existent. And I think they have trust in Brandon Allen to at least be the backup for Joe Burrow. So those would be my three guys that I think are probably going to come back here, even though they're just backups and role players. Yeah. Nikki Jones in the Facebook chat. Good to, good to see her there. Move on from Brandon Allen. Um, that kind of, you kind of answered that a little bit as to why he may stick around. Here's the other key. And this is, we, we kind of hinted at this last week that there's, while the Bengals have done things a little differently in some respects in free agency, the past couple of off seasons, there are still some things that they do that we, we know are part of the organization and how they approach things. And one of which may be, where they take a look at the backup quarterback situation and they scour the waiver wire. They scour the cuts. They scour who gets released because of the compensatory pick formula, but also they like whether it's final cuts, whether it's, you know, cuts before free agency, post June 1st cuts, all of those types of situations. The Bengals like to scour the, the waiver wire and different av- avenues there of players who are released um, to, potentially get them in to their 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 system and obviously not tweak with the compensatory pick formula and whatnot so that that's something you know when they're cut players as opposed to willingly entering free agency that's something also that we have to look at and where they may find some players to plug into some of these areas yeah and again Brandon Allen doesn't really do much for anyone right he's just a backup quarterback but the Bengals Three years ago, they had the, the chance to keep Jake Dolagala over like Ryan Finley. Obviously, Dolagala had a better arm, had potentially more upside than Finley, but that's never really what they value at that position for that specific backup position. Brandon Allen obviously isn't going to win you any games. He's not going to save your season, but he's been in the system now for two years, and there's just not very many other options that are honestly better than him. So he doesn't really do that much for anyone, but I think that reasoning is enough to see him coming back on another one year deal. So for these guys though, in the orange, like who do you see that are just, they're, they're just done in Cincinnati. You don't, don't foresee them coming back in any, on any Phillips, interest. Phillips, Phillips. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I hate, I hate, yeah. I mean, I hate to just spring right on the guy, but um, he has, I've never seen a player slowly entrench themselves. So, into a dog into a doghouse long term like it has been the m- most slow uh devolving into the the coach's doghouse i guess in some way uh, with Darius Phillips where he has just been demo- he was kind of a starting corner because of injuries a couple of years ago and then he was still a guy that they relied on as a defensive back and then he slowly just fell down the pecking order and then they tried him a punt returner there was the absolute disaster against San Francisco and all of a sudden he was on IR after that. So uh, I, that's a guy I'm like, yeah. And the, and the name above him probably as well. Vernon Hargraves is another <laughs> guy. I think, I think he's gone too. So um, I, I, those are two right away. I'm going, yeah, I don't, I don't see them back. Yeah. You know, let, let's just, let's just do this. Let's just cross those names. Out <laughs> <there>. <laughs> you know, it, it's going to be, it's going to be sad, man, because both Darius Phillips and this guy, Auden yeah. Tate, every single yeah. offseason, it's like the, these two from the 2018 draft class, like, are they going to break out? Is this the year they're going to find a role? And I think with Tate, it was less of a doghouse and more of he just was injured and they mm-hmm. never really needed him to come back because you take one of Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and Charlie Boyd off the field and your offense comes, becomes worse. They found their guys a receiver. They probably need like one or two more guys to depth this year. But at this point, I think it's 
probably probably time for Auden Tate to find a new opportunity. And I couldn't agree more with that same exact sentiment for Darius Phillips anywhere else. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I want to, I just, I, this isn't really part of what you're showing here, I, at least not so much. There's a lot of talk of Trey Hopkins moving, you know, some, some fans are saying, what if we move Trey Hopkins to guard and get, you know, gents in the center or, uh, you know, um, Ben Jones, the center from Tennessee, all that kind of stuff. I, I don't, and this is kind of part of the free agency approach and free agency talk a little bit in terms of what the Bengals will do, because the big focus obviously is going to be at offensive line. What do they, do they bring back reef? Like you mentioned, do they bring back Spain? Um, is Fred Johnson still in the plans there? I assume they'll bring him back for some form of depth um, based, based on the fact that he's a restricted free agent, but um, you know, wait, I, I guess I'm just, do you really see them playing, a little bit of a shell game there where Trey Hopkins gets moved around for a different center. Um, do you see them giving up on an identity, a Carmen? I don't, I don't see that happen. I, I think they're personally, I believe they're very invested in those guys in terms of long-term development. But I also don't know if that means that if there's a guy that's available out there that they really like, that they won't pounce on them. Yeah. Honestly, Trey Hopkins confuses me a lot because my mind wants to say that, uh, he's going to stick around at center for another year. But every year, the Bengals make one or two moves that even surprises me. And they just are more aggressive at a spot that you're not expecting them to be. And I wouldn't necessarily rule out Trey Hopkins. Now, I don't know what the long-term plan necessarily is. They could be getting a guy for a year or two, a veteran, just to fill that spot and let Trey Hill eventually take over that spot. I, I have heard that they really like Trey Hill in the long term. And I think that's a promising potential option because he's only 21 years old. And honestly, aside from the penalties, he wasn't terrible this year in the limited opportunities that he had. It was just the penalties were so killer that like that's the stigma attached to him. But he's 21. He's pretty athletic. I think he's got plenty of room to grow. I, I wouldn't rule out moving on from Trey Hopkins. The whole thing with that and Jonah Williams, if we want to go there, like another potential option to yeah. move on the offensive line. Uh-huh. Move, moving Jonah and cutting Hopkins for another one, that's fine so long as you have contingencies in place. Like just moving those guys around or releasing Hopkins or whatever, that just creates more problems on top of the problems that you already have. So it's easy to play Madden, right? And just look at, okay, this guy's a free agent. This guy's a free agent. This guy can be traded for. Boom, boom, pow, move around everything. That, that, that's all fine in theory, but you need to have a, a concrete plan for these guys and you already have significant holes at both guard spots and right tackle. And if you're adding, moving your left tackle to one of those spots, that's a projection. If you're adding, cutting a center for an unknown, that's another variable into the equation on top of everything else that you have to deal with. So those are fun in theory. I don't count on both of them happening. Maybe one in terms of moving Jonah or cutting Hopkins happens, but that's just something that you need to account for. Like those are problems on top of the other problems that you already have. So the talking point then becomes based on, hey, Siju Zama is a pretty important piece to Kate to keep. Jesse Bates is a pretty important piece to keep. You've got some depth issues, potentially a cornerback, especially if you do release Waynes this year. A lot of depth issues potentially staring you in the face in the interior defensive line, all that stuff we've touched on. But obviously, as uh, – a couple of commenters, particularly in our live Facebook chat, have mentioned the offensive line remains the biggest question, the biggest issue on this team. So do you believe that they may say, you know, uh, we're going to kind of maybe we'll we'll get a, a couple of those guys re-signed, but we really got to work on the offensive line? Or is it going to be maybe one solid si- outside signing with a couple of bargain bin signs as well? Yeah, so just in terms of internally, because we can we can transition to the overall plan here in, in, in a second. Like the, the guys who are up for new deals, Reef and Spain, those guys weren't necessarily liabilities. If you're talking right. about like a complete turnover of this position group, your your main focus is to get identity and prince as far away from the starting lineup as possible. Because that those were your liabilities for the second half of the season and ultimately what cost you the Super Bowl. I know people have been ragging on Spain for the last play, but he didn't necessarily play as bad as those other two did in the big game. So fixing right guard and right tackle, like that's priority number one. 
And I think bringing back Reef on another one-year deal, so long as he wants to be here and his ankle's fine, that's not the worst option as just from a, a competition standpoint and just depth. And Spain, I think, fits that bill too. He's not as old as Reef, but I don't think that you can completely count on Quinn Spain to be effective for a full season because you didn't have a full year of good Spain this year. You had the first half was solid, and then he kind of really dropped off in the second half. And that's just a part of getting old for an offensive lineman. So bringing back one of those guys at, at the bare minimum, I, I don't think is the worst thing in the world, so long as you're not guaranteeing them like a starting position. If you bring back Reef, I think that ensures that you're drafting probably another developmental tackle pretty early in this draft. I think that's that's I mean, because you're not – I don't think you've seen enough out of Adenogy, even though they like him. I don't know that, that they're planning on Carmen being a tackle, at least not for them. So, you know, I think that they – maybe Deontay Smith is your developmental answer behind him. But, uh, you know, his his rookie season was basically a wash because of injuries and all kinds of different things anyway. So, you know, maybe that's where you look. But I still think you probably need to have one, at least one impactful outside free agent signing that will make you that that will net you a starter. And then, of course, you can get, uh, you know, maybe you plug in Spain, you bring back Reef. And you, you, you get yourself a right guard there or have a competition at left guard between Spain and um, uh, Carmen or what have you. But you got to get at least one new starter, I think, on that offensive line. And, you know, I, I know they like to believe in the development that they're going to have in some of these young players, but you simply cannot keep allowing Joe Burrow to get sacked and hit as many times as he has and continue to get these devastating knee injuries. One in particular devastating as a rookie, the other in the Super Bowl that wasn't devastating, but was pretty dang ugly. You can't, you can't keep allowing that to happen. That's, that's the bottom line. And they got to, they got to find ways to fix that. Yeah. So that's, well, so let's transition to that because that is where everyone is focusing on free agency. Now the past two years, offensive line has been arguably the biggest weakness not arguably it has been the biggest weakness of this team it just so happens that the defense was also garbage over the past two years and they spent a lot of resources fixing that and they kind of put the offensive line to the side just a little bit they focused it a little bit more last season mostly in the draft but Riley Reef was the most impactful offensive line free agent signing that they've had in a while now you have in equal amounts of cap space as you did the past two years, maybe even a little bit more as soon as you cut Trey Waynes. You have a solid defense. You're going to do what you can to bring back Bates and one of Ogan Jobin Hill, but the defense is basically set. The offense is very much set for the next two to three years now. It's just the offensive line, and I think that has led to a lot of people honing in on going all in at that position group, very much like the Chiefs. And the Chiefs are going to be compared to the Bengals this offseason because it's the exact same situation, right? You lose the Super Bowl because you have a trash offensive line. Just throw every single asset you have at fixing it, whether it be signing the highest paid guard in free agency in history, trading for a left tackle, drafting a guy in, in the first in the first two rounds, and then drafting another starter later. Like they The Chiefs completely overhaul their offensive line. And people are looking to the Bengals to do that exact same thing. We've never seen the Bengals go all in like that on anything. Like they've been aggressive in some areas, but not just throw the kitchen sink at fixing the problem. Their version of that is Trey Hendrickson, right? It's it's dipping your toes into a market that you're not usually not normally accustomed to doing so. But it's not doing everything in your power. It's not trading up. It's not giving out guaranteed money. It's not any of those things. It's still the Bengals at their core doing what they value, what they philosophically believe. So what does going all in at offensive line look like to to you? Because you, you talked about bringing in at least one new guy, but is that enough to completely fix this? Or is it going to be a combination of bringing in outside guys and still counting on development in some regard? I'm so conflicted on this because... Who, when I say bring in that one player, that one player could be some someone that potentially fixes a ton of problems. So you know, I know our, our buddy Ace was he had a video out earlier talking about potentially um, trading for Tyron Smith. There's talk of Laramie Tunsil trades, all kinds of different things, and that would be someone who would be a left tackle, and then you would then presumably 
move Jonah Williams either to left guard or to right tackle, right? And so then that one move potentially remedies, uh, assuming that Jonah Williams would still play at a pretty high level, maybe even a higher level at one of those other positions, that 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 helps two positions on the line with one acquisition, right? Um, that's that's the ideal if the, if it works out that way. Or you kind of stick with, you know, like you said, maybe you bring in a Spain. He's part of a competition at left guard. You bring in Reef as, as a one, another one-year guy. You draft a developmental guy that maybe ends up supplanting him, be it from injury or whatever issue at the end of the year at right tackle. And then you, you invest in a guard out there, whether that's Connor Williams or whoever else may be out there as, as one of your guard because James Daniels, another one that, that's out there that's an interior line option. So I know they love continuity, and I know continuity is such a big thing on the offensive line in terms of you know guys playing those same spots, playing together, but it's really not consistently working, the layout that they currently have. It's, it's not, not working. It's so, yeah, not. It's, it's not working. So... <laughs> Whether it's developmental guys, whether it's one-year contract guys, whether it's the franchise left tackle, it's not consistently working. So they need to find if, – if they're all in for Joe Burrow and they are all in on building upon this year, I think what you need to do is if you're not going to spend money on a guard like they traditionally have not done very often, then I think you need to look at the tackle market and or and that includes trade options and that way you can maybe utilize Jonah Williams elsewhere on the line that would that would help another position so that one acquisition albeit an expensive one may help out two positions along the offensive line and you maximize your money that way that would be if you trade for a Laramie Tunsil if you trade for or you know, or if Orlando Brown doesn't get franchise tagged or whatever, if you get one of those guys, one of those premier guys, a Tyron Smith, that to me is going all in on the offensive line, and you can retool things from there because you're taking on that kind of contract. Um, but it's just a matter of will they do that? I know they like to pay tackles, and they like to keep them, um, but I, I don't know that they will swing that far for the fences, so to speak. Yeah, I think they look at this position group and they see one guy who they know is decent now and they feel like can be a part of the long-term fix, and that's Jonah Williams. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they move him or not, but I know that that's probably how they see him. Even though he's not great by any means, he's the best that they got, and they have to value that to some extent. The second-best guy is Triopians. He's only got one year left, and again, who knows if he's even going to be here, if he's even going to be at center. Everything else is just is pure hope that it's development. And like you said, they can't just rely on that anymore. They basically did this past season when their entire guard positions were it was just Quinn Spain and a bunch of young guys. And then it was Riley Reef and a bunch of and a bunch of young guys at tackle. And then Reef ended up hurt. And then Spain ended up dropping off. And then they saw what happened for the rest of the season. This offensive line is not good. Well, okay. That's a general statement, but what I mean is that it's not at the level now where all they have to do is just sign a couple of guys and then it can become good. They need to sign a couple of guys and then hope that one of the guys that they're hoping to in development right now develops very quickly in the next year. I don't think that they're going to do enough to be very aggro in this situation and plug every hole without like basically like their version of all in, I, I think is signing two guys Filling a filling right guard and right tackle, or filling center or whatever, signing two new guys, two new starters, and then hoping the third new starter in the offensive line is either a Carmen or a Deontay Smith or whatever, and they hope that they develop and become a decent starter this season. That's what has to happen if this offensive line is to be good, because they're not they're not trading any draft picks for an offensive lineman. If it's going to happen like that, it's going to be a Cordy Glenn's type of situation. There's going to be pick swaps. There's going to be an equal distribution of picks coming in as they are coming out. Mm-hmm. That's how they do mm-hmm. trades. They they don't do straight up picks for players. They do players yep. for players. They do pick swaps. It's not going to be a second and third for Larry Matunzel. It's not going to be anything for Tyron Smith or, or whatever. That's get it out of your head. It's not going to happen. It's not the Bengals. It's not even Joe Burrow being injured two years in a row. That's going to change their mind about this. It's the same people making the decisions. And I'm not saying it's necessarily wrong. I'm just saying that has not changed and it probably never will change. Just like 
they will never spend the the real money that is required to bring in the top tier free agents like a Teron Armstead. It's just not going to happen. I think what you saw a cornerback last year is a good example. Chidabe Wuzier, Mike Hilton, one guy who was a pretty known commodity in Hilton, one guy who had a lot of upside to him in a Wuzier. Both were affordable, both filled out the secondary, both became really solid players. I think that is the model to fix the offensive line in their minds. You're not and the prices will be different naturally because it's a, it's a different position group, but I think that is in their mind what they feel like they need to do. They need to get two new veteran starters, an upgrade over just one new guy in last year in Reef, two new veteran starters, preferably one place right tackle or right guard, maybe one place right tackle, maybe one place center. I I don't know for sure. I know for a fact that they're going to be looking for a new starter, right guard, a veteran guy. I think that is probably their model. And then at left guard, it's either going to be a competition between Spain and Carmen or a competition between Carmen and Smith, or maybe a draft pick there. But one of these spots that they need to fill I think they're going to be counting on development and it's going to be kind of meeting halfway between being aggro and free agency and just relying on now three offensive line coaches developing that last starter. They have not ever since the 2015 draft, they have not been able to consistently and competently draft really solid offensive linemen. Um, you know, obviously Jonah Williams has been uh, the exception to that rule, but you look at, you look at Billy Price, you look at the development projects, you look at Michael Jordan, you look at all these guys that, you know, they, we talked about the upside and they could play multiple positions. Uh, God, Jake Fisher and Cedric Abwehi. Do we need to go back to that one? I, I mean, they just, they have not been able to find the guys and the, the colossal mistake of letting both Whitworth and Zeitler walk has continued to plague them ever since it happened. And so this draft and develop offensive line strategy, I think you're going to, you're going to eventually hit on some of the, on one of these guys, some of these guys, maybe, but maybe, I mean, you hope, I mean, the, the, <laughs> you can't keep rolling snake eyes every time. Um, but the, I, to your point, they, they can't, they can't afford to do that this year where it's like, Oh, you know, we'll use a second round pick and Oh, you know, like you, you, you just, you can't, especially where they draft this year. You can't just afford to rely on that and a couple of you know mid to lower tier free agency signings. You need to have some people that move the needle. You need to have some people that are are able to bring some form of consistency on this offensive line. And I, I, I while there are options in the the draft, I just I, I think you have to go for the proven commodities out there in free agency. There are some interesting an intriguing interior offensive line prospects. And and to your point, in terms of Armstead, Tunsil, uh, Tyron Smith, I, I just, I, I think it's too heavy of capital, not even necessarily money in a couple of those cases. It's just too heavy of capital. They do not like to get rid of draft capital. Um, and we know that. So I, while those are great options, I don't see them as very realistic for the Bengals because of, what they do and don't deal in trades. And I think if there's a year to do that, now is the time to consider it, but it makes there's still logic in not doing it because again, this is more of a big picture discussion. We and we can dive into specific targets in the coming weeks before free agency begins, but this is more of an overview, a philosophical kind of discussion of where they're going to go with this. But assuming that they're going to try to fix the offensive line for the most part in free agency that basically solidifies the offense as a whole. And you're pretty young there. In most position groups, you have depth at most uh, at most positions, but there's more areas of need on this team, just not as dire as offensive line. And you have a lot of potential issues long-term on defense. You have a defense that's older than the offense, still not necessarily long in the tooth, but you're at a point where now you need to start thinking about long-term depth. And I know everyone's banging the table for an offensive lineman with the, with the first round pick at 31st overall. But if you do just enough in free agency to solidify the offensive line, Anthony, I think you're looking at, at a draft that very much con- contrasts what the last two or three drafts have been for the Bengals, where you may see now higher picks being invested on the defense. And I think that might be just the way to go to, round out the rest of your needs here you need depth 
at defensive tackle. You need a potential starter or depth at cornerback. You need maybe potential long-term depth at safety and, and then maybe linebacker as well. Like those are positions that desperately need an injection of youth. And if you handle free agency correctly, again, not going completely all out. You don't necessarily have to do that. But if you fill enough holes at offensive line and free agency, you're setting yourself up later in the draft to go defensive heavy for the first time in a while. Because again, the last two years, that's Joe Burrow, that's T. Higgins, that's Jamar Chase, that's Jackson Carmen. But those are premium picks all spent on offense. And your defense kind of needs those picks going forward because these free agents that they signed in the past couple of years, they're not going to be around here forever. I want to throw a disclaimer out there to Bengals fans. Spoiler alert, this is not going to be a sexy offseason in terms of positions they're bringing in here in, in, in the draft and free agency. You know, you're not going to you're not going to spend a second round pick on a running back. You're not going to spend a first round pick on a quarterback or a wide receiver or anything like that. You're going to get in free agency in the draft. It's going to be a lot of interior defensive linemen, a lot of interior offensive linemen, potentially tackles, like you said, linebackers, maybe a, a corner here and there uh, and their safety. But I mean, it's going to be a lot of the the you know the the big boys in, in this in this offseason. At least I, I would think Akilah the Great here with a thank you very much for the super chat there. What good is draft capital on the offensive line if you can't draft offensive line? And the hope is now too, John, that the Bengals bring in another assistant offensive line coach with Frank Pollock. Worked with him at the Jets, and uh, I still think they hung on to Ben Martin too, if I'm not mistaken. There, so you've got three offensive line coaches trying to put this thing together and make it work and, and right the ship. So hopefully the vision is aligned and hopefully they can, can figure out the right people, not only to draft, but also the guys they want to bring in and in, in free agency. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to uh, misquote or paraphrase Willie Anderson here, but uh, Jake Lisco was talking about this saying that now there are three offensive line coaches with the Bengals now. And I believe that Jake was saying that this is what Willie Anderson has wanted for not only the Bengals, but for teams in general to have an extra guy there to maybe focus more on just the development side because the coaches have to implement scheme. And this is what we've talked about for ages now, especially now when we've had Willie on the show. And I think that's what Willie was potentially saying, but he also wanted it to be him that, that had that role and not, not, yeah. not, a, not yeah. another assistant. But I think that might be what this new guy is here. And he was with Wyoming this past season. But like you said, he was with Frank Pollock when he was with, uh, the Jets in like twenty nine in twenty nineteen and twenty twenty. So having more eyes at that position group obviously can't hurt. It's where they need the most help. But I think having a, an extra guy there to help out with technique while Pollock and Ben Martin are trying to implement the run game scheme and the offense in general, I think it obviously couldn't hurt. And having the visions aligned, like I said, I mean, obviously if Ben Martin's sticking around with Pollock, they work well together. And then of course, um, you know, Pollock bringing in his former protege with the Jets. You know, bringing it, they're, they're all going to be aligned. There. That's a great point in terms of, you know, how, and and that was always one of the other criticisms with the Bengals, and that's something Zach Taylor has changed a little bit is beefing up the coaching staff, having more assistants, having more position coaches, and having Frank Pollock have that run game coordinator designation to his title. Right? I mean, these are the things that Zach Taylor has implemented. Maybe it's not, you know, uh, doesn't move the needle a ton, but when you when you're coming off a Super Bowl appearance, it's some of the things that you need to start noticing. Uh, in, in some in some regards there. So um, I, I don't know if you want to put a bow on this, John, um, in terms of kind of approach on the offensive line and whatnot, but uh, we're, we're going a little long. It's been a fun show. But uh, what what do you got to close us up on the, the offensive line front here in free agency? Derek Frazier was his name, the uh, new offensive line coach. Yes. I feel like we should, yes. we should mention that. Just not call him that guy that Frank Pollock knew. But yeah. There's a lot of high expectations, a lot of high hopes right now. They're coming off of a Super Bowl run. They have one clear need. They have a ton of cap space. And it's easy to get lost into that. And it's easy to look at what they've done in the past two years as a sign of change and everything. But this is still the Bengals. Not necessarily in a bad way, but this is still the same decision makers with the same values and everything that goes into that. They're not going to do everything that you want them to do at offensive line. And that's not that doesn't mean that the offensive line is going to be bad. Take this as a cold water shower, if you will. I think that they will bring in two new veterans. I don't know who they are. I don't know what positions that they will play, but I think they will try to do more in free agency there. It's just not going to be the trades. It's not going to be the high salary guys that 
that everyone is hoping for. And I'm just saying that now, not to tamper your expectations, but that's just the reality of what it is. That's who they are with this position group. They they recognize that there's an urgent need there, and they will do, they will fill it in the urgent way that they are known to do so. And that's not necessarily going completely all in with every asset possible thrown at it. It's not going to be a bad thing, but it's not going to be what you expect. That that's just kind of where I'm feeling with it. All right. Well. We're gonna we're gonna start closing up a little bit here. What uh, what, what do you got for us as we drop the mic and and uh, get on out of here? That's honestly that was basically my mic drop. It, I hadn't that was your mic drop? Okay. That, that, that like that that's I just like been it. going through my mind. Like I it's I've been kind of watching in the shadows as Twitter is d- devolving into all these scenarios and and playing all these off season simulators simulators and whatnot. And yeah, like. This is this is the platform to talk about it. So that 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 was it for me. Uh, here, here's a super chat here that Jay snuck in here at the end. Thanks for the super chat, Jay. What if Whitworth quote retired and came back to Cincinnati for one season? Possibility. Uh, I I don't think you can retire and then just go to another team. Uh, I, I have to kind of look into that a little bit. But uh, I mean, I guess that's what Gronk did a little bit, right? Um, but he took a year off, so I don't I don't. I don't know that that's a possibility. And I, quite honestly, I think Whitworth is done anyway. Um, I, I think after winning that Super Bowl, he's probably done. I don't know. You got thoughts on that, John? D- d- does he mean one day? Like, yeah, exactly. One, yeah. one day contract. He, he, well, it says for fine. one season. He, he's done. No, yeah. That's not happening. Yeah, that's not happening. He will be back probably for the Ring of Honor at some point, though, I would assume. Uh, yeah. So that's that's a given there thanks jay and then of course we've got uh, another generous one from Akila the great um not drafting trey smith or creed humphrey will haunt me i think that's haunting everybody at this point right now both of those guys seem to be pretty good players um let's i i just want to bring a a little bit of draft talk to the table um we were going to go a little bit longer on this but um i I think we're going to go a little shorter one guy that that is a little below the radar that I don't think a lot of people are talking about, and he is a guard uh, that I, has kind of intrigued me a little bit, um, is a, a guy that's probably projected to be maybe a late day two, probably a day three guy, and that's William Dunkel out of San Diego State. San Diego State's a, a team that has been uh, on the rise. They've got a, a couple of prospects. Uh, no, everyone's in love with their punter, Matt Ariza. Or Why not? Ariza. You know? Yeah, yeah, that that guy's got a cannon. Um, so everybody's on with him. But I want to share uh, Matt Dunkel with. Uh, I'm sorry, William Dunkel with with everybody um, here. Here's a tweet from. Uh, I think they count smart football, but they kind of relay a lot of PFF scores and whatnot. But here is an interesting grade here. I know we're talking about pass pro with a lot of the offensive line, but William Dunkel finished the season with a 98.8 run blocking grade. He's the highest in the offensive line in the PFF era, John. So he is, um, he's doing some work. He's a guy who has in 2019 at a 73.8 overall grade an 88.7 grade in 2020 and a 95.2 overall grade which is the best of all guards on 920 snaps in 21 so um he i think some some other draft gurus are initially saying that he needs some work on pass pro and whatnot but he is a guy that uh he's he's got a lot of tools he needs some work on pass protection but he seems to be a mauler in the run game obviously high scorer and pff in the run game pass grades not so great but still has an overall a great overall pff score so the the pass blocking grades aren't terrible but that's a guy that i think um you know for a day three a, a project i know project offensive line we all roll our eyes at this point but a guy i think that has some potential there. Now I got to see exactly what kind of scheme they run in San Diego state. And if he's a fit with the Bengals, but a guy that I've been kind of as a West coast guy, I've been keeping an eye on a little bit. Yeah. And that won't be the last West coast guy that we hear about on this program. Probably not. Probably not. (laughs) 98.8. Like what, what goes into that? Like how many bad plays could you possibly have to constitute a 98.8? Cause I think Trent Williams had like a 99.2. Like at some point of the season, because he just doesn't have bad plays. Ninety-eight point eight. That's that's insane. That is insane. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 a high one. So, um, 
Yeah, I just a guy that I think, you know, we'll be hearing a little bit more about as the combine rolls around and the draft process rolls around. So uh, that's that's a guy I think we should we should at least have on our radar a little bit. Not a guy that a lot of people are talking about, at least not that I've seen. So I want to share that as my mic drop. Pretty good, though. Uh, yeah, All right, 98 point. If, if I got by with if I was scoring 98.8 on, on things in life, man, I'd be. I'd be cruising, but I'm not, sadly. Anyway, John, thanks for thanks for your contributions and the the lovely sheet, the document you put together for us. So that was a really, really fun exercise to go through and talk about what the Bengals will do in free agency. We've got a lot more coming up. So um, have a good week, buddy. Appreciate it. Is it going to be March next time we talk? It's already going to be March. Oh, my gosh, it will. Yeah, wow, weird. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. That's a scary thought. Um, yeah, March, Combine, free agency, all that stuff. It's going to be rolling around. So we'll be covering it here and on the other shows on the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel. Go subscribe on your favorite audio streamer as well as our YouTube channel. Appreciate all the support. Appreciate we had a lot of live viewers tonight, which is awesome, across a number of different platforms. So thank you for that. Thank you for those who submitted the Super Chats on the YouTube channel and We'll be seeing you. We've got more episodes coming up this week and next. So keep it keep it here and we'll bring you more content. Thanks. Mm-hmm.